Welcome to Because I Said So, a podcast where we amplify youth voices and use age to better understand the world around us. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you find us. It really, really helps others find this podcast. I hope you guys enjoy. Oh my goodness! Look who it is! Mm. <laughs> She's back again! <laughs> Allie! Allie, say hi! Hi! Do you want to tell the people what we're talking about today? What are we talking about? We're talking about... I thought you were just going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, that actually kind of happened to me the other day here in New York. And I forget people are not as friendly here as they are in other places. And I was with this girl, and we went up to these people, and we were like, oh, my God, your dog. Because they had their dog with them. And it's a little, like, winter jacket and stuff. And we were like, can we pick your dog? And they were like, no. And we were like, oh, really? And they were like, no. <laughs> it was very embarrassing. Anyways. Um, I would have kept Josh in like we were doing a bit. I would have been like, LOL, you're so funny. <laughs> I would have stolen the damn dog in retrospect. I should have done that. Okay. It was tiny. So. You say it a little louder into the microphone that you're going to commit theft. I don't you care. <laughs> I don't care. If that dog lived with me, I would let it get affection from people on the street. So. Well, maybe the dog doesn't want that. Have you thought about... Uh, did they interview the dog? Did they ask the dog? I don't know. What is it? Um, oh, my God. What is this? Dr. Dewey? St- no, Doolittle? Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Anyways, what are we talking about today? <laughs> okay, sorry. I have to get my energy up. I'm Right now, I'm a little tired because it's an hour earlier for you than for me. And I'm wearing, like, a little winter hat. And you know how, like, babies wear bonnets? I can understand why babies do that and why people put babies in bonnets because there's something really relaxing about having, having like, a warm covering on your head. Well, yeah, because heat is where you... I mean, heads are where you lose the most heat. I mean, yeah, I guess so, but it's it's making me feel mighty cozy. Well, you can talk to Freud about that, so... What? Your babiness. Today we're talking about... Today we're talking about, as I recall it... Um, the Jeffrey Dahmer show and like all other corresponding. That sounds like, like he's like a night show talk host. <laughs> <laughs> he's like Stephen Colbert. <laughs> um, um, anyways, so and all other like uh, dramatizations of serial killers, I think, because this isn't like the only time it's ever happened. Um, so and oh, and they're just like innate fascination with the macabre that human beings seem to have yeah and so kind of getting into the jeffrey dahmer thing um i think you and i both watched a little bit of it and i think that Mm -hmm. we both felt a little bit of this i don't even know i think it's the better part of the human instinct of the human morals that kind of says something feels wrong about this and something feels dystopian about this um, and the way that people began to come out and kind of talk about how they felt more upset when Dahmer died in the show than his victims and kind of just like the whole complex and all the nuances of the way that we portray serial killers, um, often using like handsome movie stars and like, yeah, yeah you can talk a little bit about 
your opinions on all of that. Um, okay, so I also started watching the show, and I'm looking something up really quickly that I was going to reference later. Okay. <laughs> um, so I started watching the show. I got a few episodes in, and at first I wasn't going to watch it because I, I haven't really, like, been that kind of person to watch the dramatic reenactments of true crime stuff. Right. I mean, like, I've watched a couple documentaries or listened to podcasts or whatever, and even then that struck me as unusual because, like, it'll be like, oh, and she was dismembered and raped. Anyways, uh, right. better help sponsoring this. And it's like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> right. Like, Gotta check um, the boxes, of course. Yeah, I mean, I understand, like, you live in a world that you have to make profit, you know? So mm. it's no hate on the people who do it, but it's like, there are definitely questions behind the ethics that have existed long before Virginia and I are having this conversation. Absolutely. It's not groundbreaking. Right. <laughs> but, um, Our subversive takes. Yeah, this is really unique. <laughs> you're watching history, but or listening to history. But, um... Fuck. History being made. That's what it is. <laughs> Anyways, sometimes I get nervous when I'm on the podcast because I, I'm hyper aware of the fact that people are going to hear me later. But, um. That's a podcast for another podcast. Oh. <laughs> I can always take it back to the Panopticon. <laughs> but, anyways, so, um, I started watching Dahmer Show. I got, I think, I think five episodes in. And I just like I kept watching. I think I got to the one with Tony. Um, I think his name might have been. I'm gonna look it up really quick just to make sure I get it right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Tony Hughes. That was his name. So um, Tony Hughes was a deaf man who was one of Jeffrey Dahmer's victims, and he was black as well. Um, so definitely, you know, I think one thing that's notable about a lot of Jeffrey Dahmer's victims were that the majority of them were black mm-hmm. or just like people of color in general. Right. And um, that was not, I mean, the thing is the show does highlight this, I guess, or I can see its attempts to highlight it. Um, and the fact that like he as a white man took advantage of the fact that the system was against people of color right. to do, you know, the acts that he committed. But um, I just felt like even if it tried to indicate this to the viewer, I think it it does far too much actual, like, sympathizing with Jeffrey Dahmer and romanticizing of everything to balance that out. I don't know. I just felt like it's... It's few and far between attempts to make him look like, oh, my God, he's taking care of the system and or taking advantage of the system. And the system we have is incredibly unjust. And like, you know, those messages that are actually important to gather out of this story. I feel like they didn't do a very good job of actually stressing those messages Mm -hmm. because a lot of people took away from the show that they felt bad for Dahmer and that he was hot and or whatever like and I think (laughs) of course no matter what you'd have nut jobs I think come out and think those things but I think that directorially it could have done been done differently to avoid uh that same kind of response 
because I, I saw people online, and I and Virginia mentioned this briefly, but I saw online people being like, I wasn't really sad when Dahmer's victims were being, when he killed his victims, but when he died, I was so upset. And it's I saw other people online, like, you know, asking... <laughs> asking the audience to question this and like explore that and ask yourself why you know because Mm. I think a lot of people or there was one creator I saw remark that white like people will feel more sympathy for a white man who's a killer than innocent black men right and I thought that was profoundly and unfortunately true because yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling. What do you think? No, I mean, absolutely. I think that the intersectionality of race is very, very poignant, especially in this case, in a way that, like, I don't know, it seems like a lot of the feelings and a lot of the conversations that we've had surrounding other crime shows are, like, a lot more enhanced by this. But I think that it's also interesting. I mean, it's like you and I have discussed euphoria and, like, the romanticization of drug use and sexual abuse in that show. And... um how it kind of goes back to ultimately even if you're saying we're not trying to romanticize it we're trying to show the dark sides of it if you're using beautiful people to do so you're inherently romanticizing it and I think that that's something that we're doing a lot with these serial killers like using Evan Peters or Zac Efron or Ross Lynch right like, even if you're not saying you're saying we're not romanticizing it like these people are figures that are like romantic figures like poster children of hot men in Hollywood. I mean, Zac Efron, like, that, come on. Like, I just, I don't see how you could Yeah, it's an intentional choice. Right, and and also, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, ultimately, I mean, it's for profit. I think it's like, you have to consider that a lot of these, you know, these crimes didn't actually occur that long ago. And so it's, it's, insane how much content has been pumped out since then because it's not just netflix and stuff there have been documentaries and movies and things forever i mean and and i mean for god's sakes we had like the ross lynch Dahmer show not that long ago i feel like maybe it was like a year or two ago exactly like why did we need to make another one yeah and it's like so of course they're choosing people who are romanticized figures in hollywood or people that they at least know have like a teenage girl audience, which is oftentimes, I think, a common audience for like true crime. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into and, that later and why that's like such a common audience for that stuff. Yeah, and I think it's it's no mistake that they chose people that they knew young women thought were hot you know Mm. and that is a strange thing I mean it's not strange I understand why they did it from a profit perspective but from like an ethical one I don't really and I think it's like I think about the parts of the show that I did watch and I think this is one of those things that even if I didn't think it consciously I think sub like it affected me subconsciously and in reflection I can see how it affected me but like there were so many shots of you know Evan Peters playing Dahmer lifting weights and he's shirtless and like he looks good like he's clearly like you know he's he's a handsome guy Evan Peters says but like that's not the goal of the show so why do we have all of these shots where you're like looking at his like sweaty body it just was strange to no, me <laughs> I agree I think that there's like it's one thing that we talked about again in shows like Euphoria and like the gratuitous sex scenes and that And, I mean, of course, it's, like, a different thing, but it does, like, in some senses relate to what we'll get 
talking about later and kind of like the trauma and violence and all of these things um but like there are some scenes that are gratuitous and I, I just scenes like that where you're mentioning like the lifting weights it causes me to like really think about like the fact that this like you know that there were scenes that were most definitely cut and this was one that they really like each scene is carefully put in to a show or a movie like that and it's just like every single scene every single shot the way that it's shot the lighting that's shot like the way that he probably has like glistening sweat or whatever is shot for like a purpose like that and also something that i want to pose to you because i was thinking about this um when we were kind of preparing for this episode is i don't know if there's necessarily an ethical way to do these documentaries like that um because one thing that I was thinking is, I know, like, in certain documentaries, um, like, I'm thinking, like, I don't even know, like, Dateline, 60 Minutes, they'll have actors that are not well-known and are often kind of, like, um, their faces aren't shown very much. They'll have them kind of, like, reenact things, but they don't, they're definitely not, like, media personalities. And I don't know if that would be, like, a better way um, to, like, not humanize them, because ultimately it depends a lot on how you're telling the story, but I do think that a big part of it, like we mentioned, is the person that you're putting in place to oftentimes, in these cases, become the protagonist, which mm-hmm. should not be the goal. Like, I, it's not yeah. like you're... It's not like in certain shows where you're trying to create, like, a brand out of the star. If anything, you want to discourage that, but like you said, it all comes down to profit. And so I was just curious if you think that there's an ethical way to shoot these things, um, documentary style like this, where they are trying to like follow the killer. Yeah, I think that there is. I think documentary style oftentimes works better simply because when you have a dramatization of something, right. a dramatization, I don't, I always mix that word up, so I apologize <laughs> for that. But uh, anyways, I think it's hard to do a, like, you know, drama TV show right. without it having to have some kind of salaciousness in it. Yeah. Because that's what kind of adds the romance and the intrigue and the entertainment to a drama show. And I mean, also, too, like, typically in regular TV shows, there you get an intimate look into, like, who the quote-unquote protagonist is. And unfortunately, I think that, you know, that's not a compatible format with, like, the genre of true crime because that means inevitably it creates a profile of a killer that feels all too humanizing. Right. And, and I think inevitably, too, ends up kind of it's like a little bit of a a paradox because i feel like it leaves the victims both both overlooked and with too much attention drawn to them Mm. like both at once suddenly how or somehow (laughs) and so i mean for example i think the families have been outspoken opponents of the show and you know thought like have said that it was re-traumatizing for them. There was also a man who I read about whose name is Eric Wynn, mm-hmm. and he was a prominent figure in the gay community in Minnesota during the time. And um, he was he was talking about sorry sorry a uh, neighbor just saw me. Um, mm-hmm. He was talking about <laughs> um, how he watched it all go down in a sense because he would go there regularly to perform in drag and or to the to the club that mm. Jeffrey Dahmer went to 
And there were regulars who slowly started to stop coming. And he didn't think anything of it until he saw that they were, like, victims, right? Right. And he has been really, I think, like, one of the main figureheads for, like, the anti Belmer TV show, but also just anti-serial killer in general. Especially with these, when the shows, or everyone's anti-serial killer, but, like, the show. (laughs) Um, but um, I think especially when big corporations like Netflix get involved with this kind of thing it becomes dangerous too because a lot of it is impersonally done Um, you know because there are these big crews and there's big executives and there's like you know it's a chain of command and so a lot of the victims families were upset as well because they spoke about how they were never consulted absolutely yeah, about the show, like, at all. Yeah, I remember that was one of the first things, and I apologize, I cannot remember the victim's name, and I don't want to go clickety-clacking on the keyboard because I know that that would be, like, very loud, but maybe I, I will be able to put it in the notes, but I remember one of the first things was one of the victim's sister, and you can probably look this up if um, you're curious about it, but how she was depicted um, being very emotional on stand, and, and she was in real life, but just how watching that scene and the depiction of her was so visceral and so like you said like re-traumatizing but also it was just done without her consent and like you said like something about Netflix doing it and just being so I mean it's kind of like what we talked about in the sense of like some things last time with just like when capitalism goes so far as to really dehumanize just every facet um of like the people that make it up you know and it's like it's it's just really a sad and scary thing to see. And I think that, yeah, I appreciate what you said about, like, I think, like, documentary style is much more, a much better way to, like, handle this. And I think that um, when I may have mentioned documentary previously, I may have met, like, drama show. Because I think, like you said, I don't think that there's any good way to cover this in a drama show. Because ultimately, like by definition, a drama show needs a protagonist, needs all of this emotional insight. And I think it's just interesting, again, kind of, like, going back to what you said earlier about, like, the lack of not only consent, but just, like, focus on the victims. Like, I think it would be so much more interesting to do the show speaking about and speaking to the victims' families if they gave consent and focusing on more of their tales and how they were impacted by John right. and really working on romanticizing him and making a profit off of him. And it's also kind right. of like low-hanging fruit, I think. It's just like it feels like a very, like, it feels like yeah. a cop-out in a sort of, like, journalistic stance, even if they were aiming to, like, do some sort of journalism or documentary-esque thing with yeah, their drama show. I wouldn't call it that. I right. mean, but it just feels like is- a cop-out in the sense that, like, you are doing nothing new, and not only are you not doing anything new, you're dramatizing it, and you're doing it with a story that is no longer, like, emerging. Like, Jeffrey Dahmer's life is over. His story's no longer emerging, but there are families that are being impacted and, like, who are continuing... Yeah. stories are continuing to emerge every day. And so it just feels so superficial right. and so ignorant and I mean, especially too releasing it in october with like all of the halloween like you know horror and stuff is always released this time of year it just feels like a tacky right way to treat something that is actually so serious and i think too i mean race is a big component of the story in general mm-hmm. 
And I just, I I can't help but, like, notice the irony and then being like, oh, well, we're trying to point out how the system, you know, didn't listen to black folks. And, like, that's why, like, you, you, you know, that was part of the reason why this, why his crimes were, like, fuck, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Why he was able to, con- like, commit those crimes for so long. And, like, that is very true. Like, in the show, it has scenes, of course, with, like, people who were black victims who might have gotten away going to the police and being like hey this guy is is drugging people and he tried to kill me and whatever Mm -hmm. and the police are like yeah sure basically and so it does depict that but i think there's an irony in the fact that i feel like they were talking in the show about how they took advantage of the system which oppresses uh, black people and then i felt like they kind of once again just took advantage of that system in creating the show absolutely I mean, they didn't insult any of the families of the victims who were mostly black completely looked over them and has like refused to comment on their responses so it's like are you not doing a very similar thing to what you're trying to highlight as unethical in the show i just i don't i don't know i think it's horribly ironic no i i Absolutely agree. And kind of going to what you were saying about, like, horror in general and also, like, what we were talking about earlier in true crime, I kind of want to, like, dig a little deeper into why we feel this, like, interest in true crime. And I was listening to a podcast today, actually, I think it's called Philosophy for Our Times, and it was kind of talking about, like, the human inclination towards the negative and kind of towards, like, these... um, more, like, visceral, more dangerous, like, stories or depictions of things, um, and I think that that's just, like, a really interesting aspect of true crime, and you know, I mean, you mentioned earlier, and I think that, like, we all kind of know that, like, it's centered towards young women, and often, I think, in my opinion, that's because, um, young women are often the victims of these things but also just like in general I think that that kind of plays on the bigger fascination with like true crime and horror and obsession with these serial killers and documentaries because I think that there's some part of like the human brain that really tends towards protection of the self and I think that it's kind of like this some part of the human brain it's just like it's the the human brain (laughs) most of (laughs) if not all of the biological human brain Um, tends towards protection of the self, you know, just by instinct. And so I think that that's kind of like a protection aspect. Um, And like our interest towards these things is almost if we can learn about these things and if we can learn the patterns and learn the mind of the serial killer and learn just the different ways that all of these things happen and collect like almost like this manual of how to evade the killer or the kidnapper, then we'll be more safe. But I'm interested to hear your opinions on all of these things. Well, I have several, um, <laughs> but I think, well, hold on, I'm going to write it down in my notes, like, super quick, because otherwise I'm going to forget what I'm saying. No, you're um, totally valid. 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 Um, sorry, sorry. What was I going to say? Oh, oh. Okay, so I feel like I feel like sometimes with the true crime genre, especially with the young women who listen to it, it's almost like a micro dosing of fear or like mm-hmm. suspense or something. And 
I think that you're right in that it kind of teaches people to stomach those kinds of things and figure out like, well, these are the things that are possible. Um, but also experience, like I think in general, the human mind and is, is drawn to stuff that scares it. You know, like if you think about like horror movies or even like roller coasters, there's something that's actually kind of addictive about that because if you look at like the chemicals in the brain, um, your body perceives it as like a threat, right? If you're scared, yeah that means like fight or flight, something is putting you in danger. And then if you end up fine, because it's like, of course, just simulated, like watching a horror movie, then you will get a reward from your brain and makes you feel good. (laughs) There's like a high that's delivered after because your brain interprets it as being like, oh, you survived this thing that was a threat. Whatever you did, you did right. So I think that's a piece of it as well of like listening to something that can be kind of horrifying and feeling distance from it and feeling like you have evaded some kind of threat. Um, But also, like you said, just educating oneself on it. And like, I think that inherent desire to feel in control of everything and it kind of lets us have this semblance of control when we can listen to these you know, heinous stories in the safety of our home and think, well, now we know how to avoid that, even though it's, like, completely unrealistic. Um, also, I think I've, I've told Virginia this anecdote before, but I think a lot about, when I think about the macabre, I think about the Parisian morgues. Mm-hmm. And I got this from, I think, a, a great, there's a great YouTube video on this by Mina Lay. I can't remember what the name of the video is, but go to her channel. She's great. I might have mentioned her last time too, but yeah. anyways, um, the Parisian morgues used to put up dead bodies in the windows, like almost window shopping when the bodies weren't identified in hopes that like somebody would be like, I don't, I haven't seen my uncle in a little bit and then recognize him in the window and then they could identify the body and lay them to rest. Right. But it became (laughs) the kind of the phenomenon of it all was that it became something that the public just liked to come and look at. So people started flocking to the morgues to come look at the bodies, even though they weren't looking for anybody, you know, it wasn't like anybody in their life was missing or where they were hoping to see anybody or anything like that. It was just that people were fascinated with the dead bodies in the windows. And I think it's like, that is just an incredibly interesting anecdote to me because I think it's something that has continued to be true um, today with the media that we consume. And it's like, sometimes with a show like Dahmer, it's like you hate it and it makes you uncomfortable in certain ways, but at the same time, you can't look away and you can't stop watching it. Right. And of course, like part of that is the addictive nature that like dramas are going to have in general. But I think it's also just, there's something horrible about hearing that he cooked and ate people, but there's also something like, I don't know, tantalizing about hearing about it. And it's difficult to explain why, you know? It's like being a little kid and wanting to hear ghost stories. Right. Um, well, and, but and I, I can, also... Can I, sorry, can I interject super quickly? Yeah. My dearest. Well, that, just like what you were saying there reminds me a lot of, like, what we've talked about recently in journalism. Um, of just, like, we talk about kind of, like, the sixth W being, like, the wow factor. And it's, like, when you hear something like that, even though it is horrific and gross there's something about the wow that intrigues a person I feel like and I mean we see it with things even like rubbernecking or just like 
I don't know. I I know right. that I was talking to you about how like there was um, some scene. I completely forgot what it was called, but it was like the Saoirse Ronan movie where she gets like kidnapped and all of that, and she plays like a young girl and like her ghost kind of like roams around. Um, but like there was a scene where she like got kidnapped and like killed, and I remember like the worst part of me like just like was looking for that and it's like it I but it's like I know that's not a unique experience like I was like because when I heard about it like the way that it was described to me it was like oh my gosh it's like this crazy thing and it's just like it's almost like this novelty and it 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 disgusted me to like feel that way about myself and to realize that because it's like ultimately it makes us feel so disconnected like it reminds me a lot of like the handmaid's tale when they're doing like these public hangings and all of these things or like a 1984-esque um, thing where, I mean, it's just, like, this public watching of, um, other people, other, like, people that you're connected to by way of just, like, being in the, existing in this shared humanity and, like, watching them suffer, and it's, like, I don't know if it's psychologically something, like, a reveling in the fact that it's not you or if it's just, again, like, we were talking about, like, the brain's perception of, like, um, stress and kind of like what we were talking about in psychology last year where the brain seeks excitement and a certain level of excitement and it will seek these like kind of like what you were talking about when like fear fear counts as excitement like they're two sides of the same coin and so ultimately like they both give that dopamine release and so I don't know if it's that or what it is but I think it's just a very very interesting thing because it does draw us into like this wow factor it's kind of like I think violence drugs sex like all of those things are kind of well, like things that trigger the sorry to interrupt you no you go ahead you know too um, and, like, what makes that wow factor wow sometimes. And they talk about this one time, it's Topia. But um, there's, like, a wow factor in hearing about somebody who is, like, a white suburban killer, kind right. of. Um, because it's kind of like, what? In our nice white neighborhood? Exactly, there was yeah. a, There's a guy who killed people? Oh, my gosh. Like, it's like there's something that's so much more fascinating to the general public about someone who's like, you know, lived in a ranch house being a killer in, in like a white neighborhood rather than, you know, someone in the hood or something. Mm-hmm. And it's because people, of course, are like, ex- don't expect that. But like I said, it's like an hour, an hour sweet white gay community. I can't believe it. And so there's yet again, like a race factor that plays into that, I think, and like a classism thing as well, right. where it's like people think that someone who is white or upper class, for some reason, they are more surprised that those people would have the capabilities to do something awful. Right. And it's like, and I think that a lot of times, like also what we see just most commonly um, and it's like, I know that there's statistics out there that refer to like, um, white on white crime and stuff like that that kind of like show that it is so disproportionately reported on um like black crime is so disproportionately reported on sorry I didn't want to make that sound like I was talking about white crime but like um and just crimes committed by people of color in general and it's it's also interesting to me that we focus so much in true crime on American stories too and it's I just think it's a very very interesting thing because it relates to what you were talking about where it's just like I I understand the psychology of it but I think that it's something that we really need to interrogate within ourselves and our news systems because again I mean there's so many women of so many different races 
within America being abducted, and you can refer to, like, immigrants and things like that who are being abducted. I mean, not to get too political, but, like, when you're talking about deportation, if that is not abduction in some way, especially, like, relating to DACA. Like, I don't know what it is, but it's like what you were saying with, like, these white picket fences. It's it's this weird undertone of, like, white supremacy within all of it. And it's... Of course. I mean, they're all... Exactly. I mean, then that's, like, capitalism at its best. But, like, we are so desensitized to crime involving people of color. And so often we are not shown, like, white-on-white crime. And it's not because it doesn't happen. It's because of kind of, like, you know, I mean, the evidences of racism that still exist in our communities that are oftentimes implicit. Right. I mean, also, too, I think it's important to know because we were learning about it this week in my feminism class, my women of color feminisms class, about the disproportionate number of assaults on indigenous women as well and how those are never reported on or given attention at all. And there's nothing like sensational about those, whereas like these white women who are assaulted and killed like, oh, God, you know. And it's like I unintentionally have been a part of that problem in the sense that I just haven't actively been looking into it, you know, because you right. have to actively look into it to find anything about it. Right. But, um, I mean, we were, we were talking about, let me pull up the, the name of the case. We were talking in class about, give me two seconds. Oh, and just while you're looking it up, I think it's interesting, too, that we often label things, I mean, like, I don't know, um, speaking about, like, indigenous women or people of color or immigrants or things like that, we talk about that as activism, and we label it as activism, and so we put it almost into its own category, which I think is different. It's just interesting to me that, like, it's it's something entirely separate from the way that we look at, like, these white picket fence kidnappings and murders. And I think that sometimes in some circles, especially, like, I think more harsh extremists like right-wing circles activism or like you know like it's it's just associated with like this sensitive liberal like negative thing and so I think that oftentimes like that can also be a factor as well mm-hmm. I mean um yeah I agree I there's this the court case I was gonna bring up which I didn't know about even though it's like literally like I think insane um so my teacher was just talking to us about how if you were trying to picture if you try and picture a reservation like a native american indigenous reservation it is almost impossible to like conjure up a clear picture of what it is in your mind because i mean and that's like intentional it hasn't been in the media at all and, right. and that's like it's not something the united states is like putting out there and so she was telling us about this court case that happened in 1978. It was Oliphant v. Suquamish. I'm sure I'm butchering that. But um, basically, it stripped the tribes of the right to arrest and prosecute non-Native Americans who commit crimes on Native American land. Oh, my God. So basically, if someone went in there and wanted to rape and murder someone, they could, and then the tribes within the community would have no ability to, uh, like, arrest those people. So that's, like, just, like, blatantly unfair. (laughs) 
So that definitely means that, of course, those like true crime cases that happen there are not as reported on or as like sensationalized because there's something I think, quote unquote, fun to people too about seeing. Are the police going to catch him? What is the case on it? And blah, blah, blah. And, like, there's not even a case being made for these people at all. So there's no, like, sensational story to follow. Right. And that that kind of, like, leads me into something else that I wanted to ask about and kind of, like, discuss. Is like, I don't... Because obviously in, like, stuff like the Jeffrey Dahmer case, like, we know who did it. Like, it is over. This gratuitous coverage of it is not helping. But other times when, like, sensationalism or maybe, like, showing gruesome pictures or showing gruesome etc. Like, I know that you and I were talking earlier kind of about, like, Emmett Till and how maybe in some, t- like, in some ways it had, like, a good result. Like, when his mother decided to show the body of her son and how brutal it was because it did help you know, like, the civil rights movement, and it did help, like, to usher in just, like, an an incoming of, like, humanity in some places, ultimately not all places, of course, as we still see today, but it's, like, sensationalizing the story. Like, I know that sometimes with kidnappings, although, like, we just mentioned they're not equally covered um, in the basis of gender, race, religion, etc., sometimes I feel like sensationalizing at least the story and at least, like, the mystery of it can help to gain interest and ultimately find the person who did it or ultimately find the victim. And so I just wanted to ask you, like, what your thoughts are and, like, is there a good time for it? Is there a wrong time for it? Is there a right way? Is there a wrong way? I think, I think yes. I just think it's, like, when you share those gratuitous scenes of violence, I think it is important to consider how will it affect the person, like, the victims of the situation. And the communities, right. Like, I think that's what you're getting at. Yeah, not just the situation specifically, but at large. So, for example, I saw, I, I'm, I mean, I'm not black. So, like, I, this is truly just from the people of color that I know and have, you know, read Absolutely. essays from online. But um, I saw a lot of discourse surrounding, like, summer 2020 when the Black Lives Matter movement was at its height. Um, there were definitely, like, a lot of posts that I saw of almost gratuitous violence at that point because everybody was reposting videos of what would be considered modern-day lynchings, right? Or just, like, lynchings, period. Right. And so the thing is, on one hand, I think a lot of white folks were educated by that in the sense that, like, there was... There was I think people were just stunned that that level of violence and and discrimination uh, and hate crimes were still taking place. However, I think it also wasn't very considerate of the fact that for many of the black individuals um, that I know online or read stuff from online, I felt like it was just essentially re-traumatizing over and over again, you know, to see somebody... Like, they didn't want to have to open social media every day and see a black person get shot. That's, like, incredibly upsetting, right? Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I don't even remember white people, including myself, talking about it is exhausting to see that violence every day. I can only imagine what it would be like to be one of the, a member of a victimized community that is seeing that, like, gratuitous violence. And so it's almost like, I mean, as women, this, I think, applies to us because, of course, like, the black uh community is i'm not a member of it at all obviously 
Um, right. But like, and it's also like a very like it's a different thing. But like you were saying, like a victimized community. Like I understand like the connection of what you're making. Right. So I mean, in the female community, I think there's been talk about like rape scenes in TV shows and mm-hmm. movies. Where it's like, is it necessary really to put that rape scene in? Because maybe you're trying to show the trauma of rape, but it's also like incredibly upsetting, especially when so many women have faced sexual assault, just like how so many black people have faced racism and discrimination. Yeah. I mean, all the time. So, no, it's truly. And I, I think it would be a double edged sword. Right. And I remember, I mean, even in like one of our classes, here there we were talking about like when is it okay to use graphic images like in in the sense of journalism and articles like how do you know if it's a good idea how do you know if it'll create change or whether it is just going to create this sort of trauma porn or like you said I mean I know so many people in that I know personally but also on the internet people of color who were not on social media for much of that time during 2020 just because it it evoked, like, so much emotion, but also so much, like, generational trauma, and again, like you said, like, I also took a break from it, I know you did too, and it's like, I cannot imagine the magnitude to which that would have affected someone of color when it affected me in that way, like, I just, it's unfathomable to me, um, but I know that someone was talking about, um, the Highland Park shooting, and we saw an image of that, a graphic image of the shooting, and it wasn't even terribly graphic. I mean, there was blood, but you, you couldn't see any specific, like, body wounds or anything like that. But even that was enough to just, like, evoke so much emotion. And so I think that there are cases, and like you mentioned, like, rape scenes and just, like, some things that are very, very graphic where it can just be so gratuitous. And I think that ultimately one thing that we had kind of, like, come to terms with is that, like, there are times when maybe, you know what, like, you can refer to a link to a video if it exists out there, or you can put something behind, like, one of those walls on Instagram that they kind of, like, says that, like, this has graphic content, like, click to view, and that, that might be an okay way to do it, but ultimately, it's a hard thing to wrestle with in any sort of, like, activism movement, and not only activism movement, I mean, like, shooting, gun violence, like, any sort of, I don't know, like, terrorism crisis wars things like that it's just like a very very hard thing and we talked about like also how like a lot of pulitzer prizes have been awarded to graphic images often of like wars overseas um but how like with them came like a lot of controversy about the ethics of those pictures and so it's something that i think is an ongoing discussion but do you have any more that you want to add before we we close out my dearest i had a good thought and now i'm Oh, I also just think it's important that, like, I mean, what you were talking about, links to videos maybe are walls, but when they're so widespread or if it becomes something that you see oftentimes, like with true crime, I think it gets into a dangerous territory of, like, public desensitization to that kind of thing. Like, eventually, of course, I was still emotionally exhausted by everything, but I think eventually if somebody is shown, like, a violent act against somebody every single day or like once a week even for a long time it starts to just become less and less you know evocative and I think that is a problem because then it becomes only gratuitous no I I fully agree and it's ultimately I remember seeing a lot of things about this during 2020 but also like just continuously I mean I think that this happens over time is like when you get so exhausted not only like desensitized but even just like the level of exhaustion you ultimately can't do 
anything and make forward progress in any sort of like activism or like the point that maybe those images are trying to make and like the actions that they're trying to evoke like if you're so exhausted by just the emotional debt of like all of those things then you really can't make any any progress um so yeah but i love you and i'm so grateful that you did this episode with me and i hope that everybody who's listening kind of like found some sort of thoughtful conversation in the midst of all of this <laughs> true do you have any last words famous last words Ali Mo um I hope that you guys enjoyed it and I hope that I didn't sound like too much of an idiot because I get a little stage fright me and honestly me too sometimes I'd be worried that I sound like a freak but we yeah I feel like I constantly teeter between sounding like a dumbass and sounding pretentious oh <laughs> no I'm exactly I'm like always oscillating too little anxious Two little oscillators, if you Two will. little anxious oscillators. Should we have an outro? Should we have something that we say? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and one, two, three. One. Well, two, no, I, I don't, I think that's very, like, a thing. I don't know. Okay, then you go, yeah, yeah, just do it. I'm just going to say, goodbye, Virginia's podcast.